on that. Bunny! Yes! If you're like me, you're no doubt a big fan of this podcast, The Pope on Film. I mean, who is it nowadays in this day and age? But only real fans, true hardcore fans of the show who've been with us since day one would know two things, two facts, two fundamental truths about uh, the both of us, the two of us, America's hottest couple, Bunny and Steve. First and foremost, Bunny, the first unequivocal, absolutely really real and in no way made up on the spot fact about you, Bunny, is that when you're not the brains behind the podcast, you are busy as a part-time escort. So tell us, Bunny, what services do women hire you specifically for as Um, an escort? Mostly for the ranch dressing tossed salad. That is a very popular one. Yeah. You know, uh, most people, they'll call up and directly request that. You know, they want to make sure that it's part of the, the, the overall bundle, uh, which includes champagne and flowers. Okay. And the, the Cool Ranch Toss Salad. Yeah, so that's you a know, very big one. You know what, Bunny? You've brought up an interesting point. Aren't caterers food prostitutes? Basically, yes. Yeah, yeah. We should change that name instead of caterers. They're just uh, food escorts. Yes. Yeah. Can I do some Exactly. There's a lot of different escorts out there. I'm a story time escort. Hey. Well, this you is, wanna. But that's because we're in a capitalist society. Yes. We're all whores. We're all whores. The Pope on film. We're all whores. It's just that's what are you selling? Yeah. That's the tagline right there. And the second thing that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it, but I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do at this part of the show is I like to get a story from the history books, rework it via my own unique storytelling style. And that's where we are right here. Another educationally uneducational installment of Steve's Historic Approximations. Dun, 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 dun. Shap, as I like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Personally, I like the name Shap. It's short and quick and to the point. It's the Ramones of podcast segments. Anywho, this week on the old Shappity Shap Shap, we will be doing a short, sharp Shap about a subject that does, in fact, mean a lot to me. And let's get right to the thesis of the paper. Funny, Gene Siskel was a fucking asshole. Was he? Absolute, big time, fucking asshole. Okay. He was the first 
He was the absolute worst, without a doubt, the all-time worst movie reviewer in the history of America, bar none, hands down, boy, howdy, yowza, 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 23 skidoo. He did something in a review that is just so shocking, so mind-bogglingly inexcusable that I have decided to focus an entire chap about it. That's what we're going nice. to do. Okay? But first, here's a little background. Gene Siskel was born in 1946 in Chicago to Russian Jewish immigrants. So, uh, okay, Boomer. He definitely played stickball on a street with a bunch of other black and white kids dressed as newsies. Yes, <laughs> most certainly. It's like, hey, you want to go outside and do our national uh, pastime? Rolling a giant wheel down the street with a stick? Yes. That was a national sport throughout the 40s. His real name is Eugene Siskel. Okay. Eugene Siskel would like to point out. His first words were mama, followed by no dad. I said mama, not dad, dad. That is slander, and goddammit, I will sue you. <laughs> so it is safe to say baby Eugene had a way with words. Yes. Wikipedia said that Gene Siskel, quote, lost his parents as a child. And that's why you got to keep an eye on your parents, because if you do not keep an eye on your parents, they will wander off. That's yes. why every time when I went to school as a child, I would put the club on both my parents. Yes. You remember the club? You remember yeah, that? Yeah, does that even exist anymore? Yeah. Big red, silvery metal thing you would put on your wheel to lock your steering wheel. How strange was that? That was also during the period in time where people were like, hey, I'm going to go to this mall, but I don't want my car stereo stolen, so I will remove it and just carry it like a purse. Yes. Throughout the mall, I will carry my car stereo because I don't want someone to break in and steal my window, Garfield. I just <laughs> tied in another podcast, another shaft. Yes. Right there. The, the, the Garfield robberies of the 80s. I just did that. So, I, I, any, this, what was popular on Long Island? Because they were kind of yeah. car people. Do you remember the ICs. Viper? You remember the Viper yes. security system? Protected by Viper. Yeah, I remember that. Step away from the vehicle. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm yeah. just walking to the goddamn store. Yeah. Yeah. That was. It's so funny because people said, I'm going to put an alarm inside my car. To to scare people away from breaking into the car, and also to alert everyone that the car is being stolen. How quickly we learned to ignore that sound. Yes. How yes. quickly all of us as a nation so easily learned to drown out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> that just became a song we were all used to. How amazing is that? I wanted to come up with my own version of the Viper car security system. Mm-hmm. In, but instead of using the voice of RoboCop for it, I want Viper. I wanted Doctor Smith from Lost in Space. Yes, get away from me! Get away! Oh, the pain! The pain! I one hundred percent support that message. Absolutely. Yes. So, so Eugene Siskel graduated Yale. Funny pop quiz. What degree did Eugene Siskel get at Yale? He got a degree in what? Yale has one of the most outstanding Moyle degrees. Yeah. So, so he 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 got his doctorate in Moiling. No, it's worse than that. He got a degree in philosophy. Okay. So, how is no, useful? <laughs> yeah. So, with no journalism training whatsoever, how did he become the Chicago Tribune's main film critic, you may ask? Well, after college in the late 60s, Gene Siskel started a sort of apprenticeship studying writing and journalism under Pulitzer Prize winning journalist John Hersey who got a Pulitzer for his work covering the Second World War and the atomic bomb. Apparently, he was, he was like deep in the shit for World War II. And, and he was a journalist, and he was covering the Second World War, and he visited Hiroshima after the bomb dropped. And while he was going through the rubble, he found a diary of someone who had lived through the blast and then died. And he got that journal and published it as an article and people loved it. And they gave this guy a Pulitzer Prize. And so he decided to bring Gene Siskel under his wing and teach him journalism and writing. So it was that connection to a Pulitzer Prize winner that got Eugene Siskel hired on as a film critic. So in 1975, he teamed up with fellow Chicago film critic and hearty to his laurel, Roger Ebert. And together, and I didn't realize this because I was pretty young at the time, but they started a local PBS show called Sneak News. And that was their movie reviewing show, which would air on PBS... And it was exactly the same. Well, that was the first show was the PBS show. But then eventually they said, hey, we can make more money away from PBS. So they gave up the PBS show and started syndicating a second show, a new show called At The Movies, which was 100% the same thing as the PBS show, except now there are commercial breaks and they can make more money. Yes. And throughout the 80s and the 90s, Siskel and Ebert were basically the alpha and omega of movie reviewers. They could make or break a movie with a review. They were so powerful movie reviewers at at that time that when I still worked at the bookstore, they did a riff tracks live showing in movie theaters where they riffed uh, Matthew Broderick's Godzilla. And I went with a 
friend of mine at the bookstore who had never seen Matthew Broderick's Godzilla, and she just leaned over to me in the middle of the movie and said, oh my god, are those two supposed to be Siskel and Ebert? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, they absolutely are. This movie is horrible. And also, at the time, Siskel and Ebert were like the kings of movie reviewers. So... A good or bad review from Siskel and Ebert could make or break a movie, but not in the ways you might expect. And that brings us full circle to the main crux of today's Shep. This is an actual review that ran in the Chicago Tribune in 1980. What Eugene Siskel did here is both legendary and freaking inexcusable. I have the article in front of me. I will be reading the review in its entirety. The headline says, Friday the 13th, more bad luck. Okay. So there's a little uh, graphic, and it says, uh, Tribune, mini review, unlucky for the viewer, no stars. No stars. So I will be reading this review to you now, okay? Okay. Okay. It has been suggested to me that the that a great way to keep people from seeing a truly awful movie is to tell them the ending. I like that idea a lot, and I know it is a powerful and controversial weapon. So you're going to have to trust me to use it wisely and sparingly. That is the first paragraph. Here is the second paragraph. In the meat cleaver in the forehead movie, Friday the 13th, which also features a bloody slow motion decapitation, the killer turns out to be a bitter old lady played by Betsy, I've got a secret Palmer. It seems that 23 years ago, her son drowned at a summer camp while a couple of counselors were off having sex in a aloft he has given away the ending to friday the 13th in the second paragraph of his fucking review yeah okay and it's a total dick move but nobody who is going to see that movie is going to see it for the fucking plot yes but here's the crazy part bunny here's the crazy part I haven't gotten to the bad part yet. Okay. It gets worse. Okay. So that was the... uh, Okay. Uh, So that was the second paragraph. Here's the third one. Since the boy's drowning, there has been a rash of unsolved murders at the camp, and after about 83 minutes of Friday the 13th, we learned that, sure enough, it's Palmer's fault. She's got this thing for counselors at Camp Crystal Lake, and if you wait another 10 minutes, you can see one of the teenage girl counselors cut Palmer's head off. Now there. I hope I've ruined Friday the 13th, which is the latest film by one of the most despicable creatures to infest the movie business, Sean S. Cunningham. Cunningham. You may have heard of one of his other films, The Last House on the Left, a film in which a teenage girl is forced at gunpoint to urinate on herself and then is shot in the head. 
Cunningham's specialty is that old slick standby, teenage girls in peril. In scene after scene in Friday the 13th, we see girl counselors stripped down to their underclothes, only to be stalked by the unseen killer who we now know as Palmer, looking very much like a lumberjack. One girl gets the meat cleaver slammed into her forehead, another's throat is slashed, and we see the sp fake blood towards the camera. Cunningham takes it a little easier on the boys. One is merely stabbed in the stomach. Another's throat is pierced from the back of his neck by a knife. In more than one scene, Cunningham rips off sequences from the hit shocker Halloween, which was much, much less bloody, much less explicit about its attacks, and much better directed by John Carpenter. To be fair, Gene Siskel did give a good review to Halloween. So it's surprising that he's going so far in his attack with Friday the 13th, the yeah. first one, which is the, 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 the most subtle of all the Friday the 13ths. If he felt that way about the first Friday the 13th, I want to be there in the theater when he's forced to watch Jason X. Yes. Jason face. If he hates if he hates that the first one went too far, I would have liked to have seen his expression when he watched Jason Takes Manhattan. Yes. So, so there's still more to the review. The point is this. There is nothing to Friday the 13th other than its sickening attack scenes. Uh, remove them and you're left with an empty movie. Uh, we're nearing the last paragraph where it goes off the rails. Friday the 13th is being distributed by Paramount Pictures, and it is very surprising to see a major publicly held film company handle a movie as bloody as this. Previously, Cunningham had had to work with small-time independent releasing companies. Now, here is the last paragraph, okay? And this okay. is not freaking cool. Paramount is a division of Gulf and Western Industries. If you want to complain about the film, you can write Charles G. Blood, Blood, Bloodorn, the chairman of the board of Gulf and Western Industries at One Gulf Plaza, New York, New York, 10023. Betsy Palmer lives in the little town of Rowayton, Connecticut. I'm sure a letter sent to General Delivery will get to her. That's it. The first one I don't mind. The second one, total dick move. Friday the 13th has been given an R rating by the Motion Picture Association of America. If any film should be X rated on the basis of violence, this is it. But Paramount pays part of the salary of the MPAA people who determine the ratings. And this is clearly a case where a big studio gets a less restrictive rating than is, than is proper. Okay. Okay. Eugene Siskel. I understand you don't like a movie, but motherfucker just docks one of the stars of the film that he didn't like. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? Not freaking cool. You just docks an old lady. Uh-huh. What the hell? And then the funny thing is, to tie the whole shaft together... Reports suggest that this review, which went so far in its attack of the film, really did help the film. Yeah. 
that they made a small time horror movie and they released it again. Friday the 13th cost $550,000 to make and it made $60 million at the box office. That is an insane return on a very small investment. And one of the main reasons why people apparently went to go see this film is because Eugene uh, Siskel was foaming at the mouth and doxing people because he hated the film so much. Yes. That a lot of times people Ebert will was say, no hey, fan was... either. Yeah, Ebert was no fan either, but he's not like uh, Friday the 13th is a despicable film, and it features one Kevin Bacon. Here's his address and social security number. Give him hell. Yeah. You know? Like, what the fuck, Gene Siskel? Not freaking cool. But also, on the other hand, it's like an Ed Wood situation. The Ed Wood paradox is that Ed Wood made a bunch of films and he worked really hard on them and he had heart and he tried really hard, but they weren't a success and he died penniless. Now everybody knows who he is only because Michael Medved called him the worst director of all time and Plan yes. 9 from Outer Space, the worst filmmaker of all time. So you want to hate Michael Medved for shitting on Ed Wood. But also, if he hadn't shit on Ed Wood, there's a good possibility that all of us here in the future wouldn't know who Ed Wood is. It's kind of the same thing. Fuck you, Gene Siskel. Also, thank you for making uh, it possible for there to have been like nine Friday the 13th movies. Like, like there were like 12. really thanking him for that, though. Kind of. I feel like a huge portion of the success uh, reports suggest that his bad review helped the movie. Yeah, but are we thanking him? Not thanking him because he's a piece of shit. For that many? Yeah. Or just the original? Just the original. Just the original. Because, let's be real, did it need to be dragged out? Absolutely. You need to see Jason X a couple of times to really appreciate the beauty and majesty that is Jason in space. The real good horror movie characters go to space. Jason in space, Leprechaun in space. Yes. Uh, And who could forget Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (coughs) Just came up with that. It's a massacre in a NASA space station. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just came up with that top of my head. I think that's a pretty good idea. So that's the end of Shab for this week. Gene Siskel was an ass. I know you don't like a movie. You don't dox one of the people in the movie. What the fuck? Go ahead and dox the company all you want. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. But don't tell your audience where one of the actresses lives. Yeah, she's just hell? a fucking employee. You didn't like the movie? Yeah. This is this type of shit is why goddamn Robin Williams killed himself. You know? Like, it's not Betsy Palmer's fault that Friday the 13th existed. No. Not even the star of the movie. She's barely in the goddamn thing. You're, she's in she's in there for like 10 minutes of screen time and you're blaming the entire film on her. Yeah. This old lady didn't write the script, produce it, put it out in theaters, get a major company to release it. Like, fuck you, Gene Siskel. 
Not cool. Absolutely not cool. Very upset about this. Ridiculously upset about this. Good. So upset. You have no idea how upset I am. Uh, so that's it for Steve's historical approximations this week. Next week, we will be talking about Donald Trump and the time he tried to buy a uh, NFL team. It, ha- it happened. It, it has a lot of similarities to what we are dealing with in our present day. It's I thought you were. I thought you were going to say Taiwanese boy. No, 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 uh, no. That's that's uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Him and his uh, Jeff. That's that's Donald Trump and his best friend Jeffrey Epstein. So uh, Donald Trump tried to buy an NFL team a long time ago, and uh, what he went through. Uh, can teach us a lot about what's happening right now. So that's next week. Join us next week for more educationally uneducational fun with Steve's historic approximations. And cut on that. Bunny.